Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's a Contender Cast with Justin Hahnemann. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today we're talking leadership and we're talking about the zoo in Atlanta. And we're here with my very good friend, Raymond King, who is the chief zookeeper. Do people call you that? They do. I call <laughs> myself that. I love it. I'm proud to be the chief zookeeper. Oh my God. I am so excited to be here with you at Zoo Atlanta. And uh, Raymond and I have been friends for a while, a number of years. We actually met through community organizations. We were involved with Leadership Atlanta together. At the time, Raymond was running community affairs at SunTrust. Some of you might know SunTrust, big banking unit. And eight years ago, decided he's going to leave banking and community affairs and come run the zoo. And uh, I cannot wait to talk about this story with you today. <laughs> um, I've been really looking forward to this. Also a Georgia Tech alum. Very excited about that, of course. Um, but Raymond, first, before we dive in, first, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward to it, too. It's awesome. So talk about first the zoo here in Atlanta. Um, I know many know about it, but and others may not. So talk about Zoo Atlanta first. Sure. We're Atlanta's oldest cultural institution. Um because we are one of the oldest, that means we were founded inside the city, which means we're a smaller zoo. It's not the San Diego Zoo. Um, got it. But it's got all the major species you would see. But maybe instead of, you know, eight giraffe, we have two. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, that doesn't change your experience, particularly. In fact, if anything, you're closer to the animals than you would be in some sprawling exhibit. No question. I've also found that, you know, our typical guest is a mom who's got strollers and really doesn't want to spend six hours schlepping around a hundred acre property. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you're, if you're a visitor from San Diego, you might be disappointed. Right. If you're a typical mom, you're pretty happy. Yeah. Um, we've got attendance of almost a million people. Um, we're 40 acres and we've got an operating budget of about $20 million. Wow. And founded in 1889. Pretty amazing. And this was purchased from a bankrupt traveling circus, and they donated the animals to the city of Atlanta, right? That's how this you started. You couldn't make that up if you I tried. Know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, I love the zoo here, and you've got so much growth happening. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But um, just for those of you that are listening, what we're going to unpack today is Raymond's career pathing and coming here, but also the leadership challenges and opportunities he's discovered here and, and some of the decisions he's had to make to help grow this place. Because when you came in, Raymond, the zoo was in... We were in rough financial shape. Yeah, rough financial shape. So talk about why come to the zoo? Uh, what made you dive into this opportunity? And, and how did that even play out for you? Well, I'd love to tell you it was all you know a plan <laughs> that I orchestrated coming yeah. out of tech. You always wanted yeah. to be. I was going to spend twenty-two guy. years at SunTrust, and then I was going to go run the zoo. <laughs> um, I had a deep animal background. I'd had a dog for oh, over eight years. Oh, one dog. That's yeah, nice. That really taught me a lot. Um, no, it was not in the plans. But as I tell my daughter, um, to the point where she just rolls her eyes now. You know, it all comes down to relationships. Absolutely. And so I happened to be friends with some people uh, involved with the zoo. So when my predecessor uh, made the decision to go run the National Zoo, I sent an email to him congratulating him. And I also sent it at the same time to the head of the board, who was a friend of mine, right. saying condolences. You got to go find a new leader. <laughs> well, he replied, to darn, he replied back and said, so do you want to run the zoo? Wow. But I laughed. I thought he was joking. <laughs> but. You know, after about four email exchanges, I figured out he wasn't kidding. And, wow. you know, once I learned what the zoo situation was, I realized it actually made some sense. 
Right. So first of all, Raymond, you're one of the top connectors in Atlanta and you have got amazing relationships and amazing at connecting other people. And I'm guessing the financial situation here was, you know, the big gap. And then they saw that you had a lot of relationships with others that maybe could help solve that, right? Bingo. Yep. It's, you know, I tell people I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but (laughs) I do know a lot of people. And that's one of the benefits of living your whole life in the same city. I haven't seen the world like some people have, but I know a lot of people here. Um, And that was a key need of the zoos was really to better connect with the local community, particularly philanthropically. And that was my backyard. Wow. So you, you, you walk out the doors of SunTrust and... And you're wearing your suit and tie and uh, saying your goodbyes after 20 years there, an amazing career. And then you drive about 15 minutes uh, to the zoo, Zoo Atlanta here and, and park in Grant Park area. And so what was that like? Well, um, my first worry was that I, was I got to remember which exit to get off of because <laughs> I you know, got off the same exit for 22 years. But I did and I got here and I think I pulled up in my Mercedes at the time. Um, <laughs> I think I had my Wall Street Journal in hand. Right, because you're back. And I am sure all the zoo employees were looking out going, what have <laughs> we got ourselves into? <laughs> and so what what did you find when you got here? Like, what were the, some of the early observations in coming into the environment here? You know, the number one observation that um, makes it such a special place, and this is true of most nonprofits, is that the people are all here for the right reasons. They're not here to get rich. Um, they're not here to gain power. They're here because they love the animals and they love to take care of them and see that they're well taken care of. So, you know, you can't ask for a better uh, reason. And that means they're all very passionate. Sure. And you want passion. Um, sometimes it has to be redirected a little bit. But right. yes, they bring passion to the table and commitment. Well, well, I mean, what that's foundational for any organization, and a lot of organizations lack that, right? They're, people are there for the wrong reasons. They're not there because they're passionate about what they're doing. They're, it's a job, and a place like this, you really get people that are passionate about it. Yeah, I mean, there. the corporate world has, has come to realize, oh, you know, we really <laughs> need to have a true mission in life right? beyond shareholder value uh, that, you know, our teammates can really attach to. Sure. Because, yeah, frankly, you know, that was probably one of the things that, you know, led my move was I'd got a little disenchanted with just building shareholder value. Sure. Um, and so, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about move from sig- su- success to significance, Yeah. you know, wanting to have a broader impact on the world. No question. Um, yeah. That was a, certainly a lure. Yeah, I could see that. And I, th- I think you're right. That is a tension everybody has to manage right in their careers. So you, you move here, um, love the people and whatnot. What are some of the things though that you had to address, especially that first six to 12 months and getting things righted from a financial perspective and then getting this place in a path of growth and kind of looking at having a plan. Yeah. You know, it's one of those situations where you come in and you feel like you're um, trying to repair the bus as you drive it down I-20. Got to open up everything, right? And so, you know, I'm here trying to learn what the zoo world is all about and try to build relationships with my team. Sure. But yeah, oh, we need to be actually making things happen quickly here because we've lost money nine out of 10 years. Wow. And uh, I'm not going to finish this year without being in the black. And we did. And we, you know, didn't turn back um, and made money, you know, from there on out. Sure. Um, So, yeah, there there were challenges. You know, the zoo had plateaued in its attendance. 
Um, I think it was partly because um, after the aquarium came online here, that was such sure. a huge gift for Atlanta. I think the zoo almost kind of hunkered down and went inward a little bit. Uh, felt like the you know the ugly stepchild or something. Right. Instead of and doubling down on the we the needed new opportunity. we needed you know we had to you know step up and take our rightful place as sure. one of Atlanta's front steps right. and one of Atlanta's leading nonprofit organizations. Regardless of the aquarium. No question. And so we had to up our profile. People always say, you know, how did you generate the growth? Because we went from that plateau of 575,000 people to a million visitors in seven years. Wow. Um, That's some amazing growth. It was amazing. Wow. It was, you know, despite, you know, rainy years, cold years, hot years, <laughs> right. whatever, right. we're very weather dependent. But regardless, we always managed to grow. And there's never one silver bullet. But if I had to summarize it, it's about building buzz. Sure. You want people talking about what's happening at the zoo. And I think the zoo had just gone quiet. So we had to really turn up the buzz and our profile within the community. Right. And I was just going to ask about that. You know, all your relationships are with other foundations, for example, other companies that support organizations like this. So I would guess they were looking to you for what's the message of the zoo, right? What What are you guys going to be? Because we know where it's been the last nine or 10 years. And that maybe then set the path forward for them to get more involved. Correct. Um, yeah, I very quickly kind of reached out to my friends to you know make sure I didn't lose those connections because they were pretty helpful. Of course, um, I certainly didn't go asking for money. I knew that you know we had to lay the groundwork first. Um, I got their opinions of what was happening, and they were pretty spot on. They knew. Sure. Um, so it, then it was about execution, and you know how do we drive growth? The, the zoo had done all the cost cutting it could do. You can't cut your way to success, right? In fact, they had cut into the bone, right? Uh, no choice. So it was had to be about growth, sure. Um, and you know, to me, that wasn't rocket science to do. And you know, one of the things you shared with me in the past was that when you came here, it was a new leadership experience for you from a team perspective and the type of people you're working with, just in terms of skill sets and whatnot. What were some of your initial observations and lessons learned over time for you as you've been leading this for the last eight years? Yeah, I mean, frankly, the board took a took a leap of faith on me, and I appreciated that. And fortunately, they knew me. They, I, sure. I didn't even have a resume. They didn't. They knew who I was. <laughs> right. Um, but I had not led an organization of this size, um, so it was a new kind of role for me. I sure. didn't, frankly, know what to do. You know, I quickly got all the books I could find about, right. you know, how do you transition into a, a new role like that? <laughs> um, and I did some things right and I did some things wrong. Like any, um, I think everybody. Yeah, right? you learn yep. through your mistakes. You know, in hindsight, I was um, too sensitive to making changes early on. Okay. Um, like people changes? Yeah. Okay. You know, you certainly want to give everybody a chance. Sure. Uh, but I think you have a window that if you're going to make any radical change, you got to do it you know, between three and nine months. Sure. And, you know, I probably didn't get around to thinking about radical change until right. it was too late. Interesting. And so okay. it became a little more incremental change. Got it. But in hindsight, I think that was better. Okay. I don't think this culture would have responded well to radical Coming disruption. in, big change right away. Right. Got it. Particularly given who I was. Uh, they needed some time to kind of build their trust in me. Sure. As a new person, I'm sure. So then the other thing about a zoo is there's animals. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I know there are <laughs> other types of animals in the banking world, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I view this as like, you know, almost having to get ramped up on a new industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so how did you do that? Like, what was your approach to, to learning this space? 
you know, fortunately, I had a young daughter who, <laughs> at the time, actually wanted to be a zookeeper when she oh, grew wow. up. Oh, wow. And okay. that which made it Perfect more attractive timing. to come work here. Sure. And so, you know, we had a lot of fun together coming out here, um, both doing behind-the-scenes stuff to understand what happens there, but also just coming out as guest and viewing it that way. And I certainly looked at it with a different lens knowing I was coming to work here. Sure. And so that helped prepare me. I mean, I spent a lot of time just talking to the keepers, understanding what they do on a day-to-day basis. Because uh, you got to be empathetic toward their situation, you know. No question. You know, it's 100 degrees outside. They're out there, you know, shoveling poop. And um, <laughs> right. If you don't understand those dynamics, you're not going to take proper care sure, of their needs of your employees. Well, and that's definitely the the staff view. And then you know you're a guest service business, right? So guest experience is is key to people coming back here, right? Uh, I just did a podcast recently with a colleague of mine who wrote a book called The Comeback Effect, all about guest services and then why people return. Oh, great! So I need I'll, to read that. I'll send it to you. Right. But um. My, I guess my question for you is, as you looked at the experience here at the zoo, what was that like when you got here and what changes or, or thoughts did you have around having to improve that or change that over time? Um, you know, I would say the zoo was doing a good job at that already, but the the expectations were changing rapidly. You know, sometimes I would, you know, hear people fall back on that, you know, answer of, oh, we, we tried that five years ago and it didn't work. And I'd have to remind people that, you know, our guest is different today than it was five years right. ago. And Absolutely. it's going to be dramatically different five years from now. Right. So sort of like the I guess it was Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, don't skate to the puck, skate to where it's going. Sure. That's what we had to do. And so, you know, the trend was clearly people wanted uh, more experiences. Sure. For years, the zoo had been reluctant to let anybody other than big donors kind of get the behind the scenes look. Sure. And we finally realized, wait, we're missing an opportunity. Absolutely. A, it's a revenue source. But B, and more importantly, it brings people closer to the animals, which is what we're here for. All about the animals. I mean, we are a conservation organization at its roots. Yep. And one of the biggest assets we have as a conservation organization is that more people attend zoos in the course of a year than all pro football, pro basketball, pro baseball combined. Wow. Over 150 million people a year come to the zoos. Wow. And so we have an opportunity to have those people come in, not necessarily worried about the future of wildlife species, not understanding how bad it is, you know, not overly excited about the animals. And we have an ability to impact them so that they leave understanding the challenges Loving the animals sure. and understanding what the things they can personally do to aid in conservation. And so by getting closer up with animals, bingo, sure. all of a sudden we've sold them. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we've become more interactive, more experiences, you know, technology for a long time. You know, the mindset of the zoo was, you know, we're an escape from technology. Right. This is nature. So right. we're going to keep technology out. Well, you wouldn't have many people in the park otherwise. Right. And you can't keep technology out because we're all glued to it. Right. So as long as somebody's going to have their phone in their hand most of the time, might as well find a way to communicate with them and leverage that. Absolutely. So we're still in that progression, frankly. Right. I mean, we didn't even have Wi-Fi here. So that was one of the first things we had to do was get (laughs) Wi-Fi. Heaven forbid, right? But amazingly, we weren't really behind. Not many other zoos did, nor other cultural institutions. So that's why I say the zoo wasn't 
doing a poor job, but it was obvious we had to be doing things differently. Sure. And you really are looking ahead now, which is a pretty awesome experience. And I love the experience, by the way, here at the zoo and your staff are amazing. Um, talk about growth. So, you know, we're in a different, different place now here, eight years in. Um, you've got a, a huge project here that you guys have pulled together a really amazing support for. And you're in an interesting location in Atlanta. For those that haven't been to Zoo Atlanta, um, the zoo is in an area that's maybe 15 or 20 minutes from downtown, but it seemed, I would say, seven or eight years ago, like kind way, of, out. way out there. Yes. But it's interesting. Midtown and downtown Atlanta have really moved towards the zoo. I think it's really going to be interesting to watch how this progresses the next couple of years. And with that, now you have a major new project happening. Talk about that new project. Yeah, it's um, exciting. One, you know, we're a smaller zoo. And so we had an opportunity to take over an adjacent facility, a very historic building used to house the Psychorama painting. That's right. That painting's moving to the History Center. So yep. it was a great collaboration. Um, and so, you know, with that building, we're taking over five acres of land as well, which gave us a solution to a problem we were trying to deal with in sure. terms of how to keep our elephants here. And it allowed us to expand that commitment to elephants. That's pretty uh, amazing. Elephants are under a dramatic threat today. And, you know, a lot of zoos have chosen to get out of elephants. Wow. I said, we're going to double down. Right. You know, this is not the time to be getting out. People yeah. need to really understand the challenge well, elephants. I had no idea. And you have to have, you can't just have two elephants. You got to have three. Correct. And, and, and we only had two that, and, they, right? and that bar got raised on us and we didn't have room to put a third. Sure. But you need three because they're highly social animals. And if you only have two, when one dies, you got one that's a, a lost soul. Oh, and it's not just about caring about the physical well-being. Yes, we do right. preventive health care. We do, you know, cardiac work on our gorillas. I mean, they they get better care than we do. <laughs> but it's also about their emotional well-being and their intellectual right. well-being. So sure. it's, um, you know, creating interactions for them. And you're going to have a breeding facility, right? That's Correct. amazing. Yeah, it's so really amazing. exciting. So it's That's a awesome. huge growth opportunity for the zoo. It's going to really create a new face to the zoo. People are going to feel like they're coming to a new zoo, a new welcome plaza, new entry, huge new exhibit new building sure. uh, on top of the scaly slimy spectacular that we just did. So <laughs> right. pretty quickly we have, you know, changed over a third of the zoo. That's pretty amazing. It feels really good. Well, and now let's tie this back to the decision to bring you here. I mean, the, the reason, so in the black, all of that's wonderful. Again, relationships, knowledge of how to bring in the foundations and the d development resources that you've done. And here you have this amazing project, which is substantial, let's just say. And I mean, that wouldn't have happened without your relationships, engagement in the community, kind of the connectivity to the Atlanta institutions that support these types of places, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah, that's certainly, I mean, it's certainly not just me, but uh, that was why I was here, was to create those relationships, both political relationships, which was key here. This was all a decision of the mayor. And uh, so, you know, we had to give them a vision that was exciting. Sure. And, uh it, as you point out, an exciting time for this whole community, the whole neighborhood. You sure. know, if you go up the street, you see apartment complexes that weren't here. Yep. It's a bunch of young people that don't want to commute. <laughs> and, you know, we're their backyard. And so we need to make sure we've got room for them and that we're addressing a, an audience that's different. Sure. And Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wi-Fi. So I always like to ask this question at the end of our podcast, and that's, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons learned for you and in, in as a leader here and in the leadership capacity here that you've had over the years? I know one we talked about earlier is kind of how to deal with crisis management. Again, you know, you a new world of 
of that here. But talk about maybe one or two of those examples of things that you really have, you've picked up. Yeah. Um, you know, one, you can't overestimate the importance of culture. And frankly, we had so many things on our plate, we really didn't get around to addressing culture. Like the people culture. The people culture. Staff, got it. And we didn't have a bad culture, but there were things that I think that were holding us back that I wish I had addressed earlier. But you just can't do everything at once. And sure. so as I think about my own leadership, it's evolved. It's evolved with the needs of the organization. It's evolved with the external dynamics and it's evolved with my own growth. Sure. And so, yeah, I like the fact that as I look at myself a leader, I'm a different leader than I was five years ago, sure. 10 years ago. But, you know, so the lessons would be importance of culture um, and gosh, the importance of communications. You know, you think you've told somebody something that, <laughs> but you got to tell them five times. I mean, we're in a crowded space today. When sure. you think about the number of touch points you have in the course of a day. When I started my career, we didn't have voicemail. We didn't have, right. have email. You played phone tag with the, you know, the orange slip saying you had a message. <laughs> and so you might have really kind of tackled maybe eight or 10 things in the course of a day. Right. Now, now you get a hundred emails and they all have got real stuff to them. Sure. So you got to, I mean, you got to really over communicate because, no you know, we get our biggest complaint amongst our teammates probably is, you know, communications. And we're like, but we told you, well, right. they didn't hear it. So, you know, you got to keep telling it, keep telling it. Um, that, that would be a big lesson. And then the last one I would say is that, and this is what, what I brought to the table, I think, is that, you know, too often in the nonprofit world, um, there's external pressure to uh, reduce overhead. Uh, Overhead's a bad word. Got it. In business, but certainly in the nonprofit world, people right. want you to be thin. Well, I'm all for budget discipline, but that I think has encouraged too many organizations to run too thin and not have the bandwidth they need to really execute their mission. Sure. You know, this place was so tight financially that people even quit thinking about new things to do. They just assumed the answer was no. Or if they did something, they did it on the cheap. Got it. And so that mentality, fast forward 10 years, is sure. still here. And so I have to push people to say, you know, if the shovel's broken, go buy a new shovel. Instead, right. they put a piece of masking tape around it or something. <laughs> you know, if right. we're going to put a sign up, don't, right. you know, make a photocopy and, you know, put a, a piece of, you know. Tape up. Uh, yeah. Up. You know, let's get it professionally printed. And, right. you know, because that's our brand. It is the brand. And but the guests notice. Big time. Right? I mean, it's part yep. of the experience. So, yeah, I'm finding myself having to push people more to spend the right money to do it right. Got it. So you don't have to do it twice. Wow. And uh, I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, but I love I, that one. But again, I think one. it's this mindset that nonprofits have to be so lean. Sure. And uh, that means nonprofits also spend every penny they get in terms of you know maximizing their impact. Well, I'm a banker and I truly believe that you have to have financial strength to take advantage of opportunities. This huge project we're working on now had we not done the work we did to get strong sustainability in our operations, where yes, we're making surpluses. That's okay. You need sure. to because you got to reinvest in the business. In the business. Yeah, had we not done that and built reserves, sure, we couldn't have taken on this project. We would have missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Sure. So my message to other nonprofits is: don't spend every penny you can on your mission that day. Put some in the bank, sure, and um, 
you know, invest the money you have to to be a first class organization. And you know, if your overhead rate's higher, it's higher. That's okay. Yeah, I think you're right. That is that is a prevailing thought across not the nonprofit world. Well, I those are awesome, by the way. So, last but not least, where can the potential future guests of Zoo Atlanta find you and get engaged here? Absolutely. You know, you always have to start the website. <laughs> where else would you go? Right. So it's www.zooatlanta.org. That's pretty easy to remember. Yep. It's a new website. It uh, looks I think great. you could find more information than you ever imagined, not just about the organization, but about animals themselves. Sure. And I would encourage people to follow us on social media. It, we're, a, we're very good at it. B, it's educational and it's fun. We really make it, it fun it. and it's interactive. So, yeah, there's lots of ways to engage. And we're at 800 Cherokee Avenue, Atlanta. Yeah, come visit, right? Yep. That's awesome. Come once, come off. <laughs> I love it. Raymond, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. It has been awesome, except it's too short. We're I know. Have to well, do another one. <laughs> we'll do another we one. We'll get great. to talk about the cool animal stuff. <laughs> That'll be the next one. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.